Big Fluff. What's the matter? I don't know if I have anything left. Chappie. You just throw whatever you got. Whatever's left. The boys are all here for you. We'll back you up. We'll be there. Because Billy... We don't stink right now. We're the best team in baseball right now, right this minute, because of you. You're the reason. We're not going to screw that up. We're going to be awesome for you right now. Just throw. Hi everybody, I'm Joel Murphy. <laughs> you got me again, Murphy. <laughs> Did not see that coming by any stretch. I'm Andy McIntyre. And this is Overlining's Playback Podcast, where we ask the tough questions like, is this America? And is baseball not America's pastime? Wow, did that... that to use another baseball metaphor that came completely out of left field. <laughs> uh, well, if you can't tell from that intro, though, we are it's a new month and we're doing sports movies, baby. Yep. And arguably the least interesting time for watching sports, August. Uh, we are going to do a bunch of sports movies and we're starting with the only sport that's really going on in August, baseball and for the love of the game. I mean, preseason football somewhere, right? But in a couple of weeks, yeah, yeah. But yes, are and you... I mean, the, yeah, because the Tour de France is is just about ending, and you know, mm-hmm. the U.S. Open's right around the corner, and there's probably another golf tournament or something dumb. But yeah, it but... It, it feels fitting to start with baseball because, I mean, <laughs> perhaps no nobody more than Hollywood has helped to perpetuate this idea. That baseball is America's pastime, and there are a lot of movies that will remind you of that fact, and a lot of them are not good. Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely true. Um, yeah, baseball, like, there is a romance around baseball, and I think it's mostly Hollywood's fault. Right, because especially increasingly now, like, I do think there was a time where it was true that... It was for real that uh, that this was America's pastime. I don't think that's true anymore. I do not get the sense that baseball holds the same place in America's heart that it once did. No, I mean, it, it's always going to be one of the, the major sports, you know, in America, and it still is popular, but it's a lot of empty ballparks. Yeah, and I think at some point it got surpassed for sure by the NFL. You know, football became America's pastime. And I think you could argue that even football, it's still the most popular sport, but I don't know that it has the same love just based on a lot of the more recent things about concussions, things about the league. Just in general, it seems like it's a lot. I almost want to say like America's pastime at this point is MMA. Sure. Why not? It's loud. It's angry. It's about punching people in the face. Feels America. It's more American than that. I mean, <laughs> let's be honest here. <laughs> but Hollywood would have you believe 
that baseball is America's pastime and it sure loves making movies about baseball, about baseball players, about aging baseball players, about baseball players played by Kevin Costner, about baseball players that have estranged love interests that uh, got tired of them choosing baseball over them. And uh, this movie has all that. Has every single bit of it. Um, so I think two qualifications to put up top is I am a huge sucker for sports movies. Mm-hmm. Always like they get me. It's it's arguably the most formulaic of the Hollywood plots is the the come from behind underdog sports movie. But that's because it it's satisfying every time, every time, because it just yeah, the the mechanics of sports really lends itself well because we love sports and we watch sports for underdog stories for you know the cinderella story of the ncaa tournament or for some team coming out of nowhere in the playoffs and winning and the thing is that doesn't always happen in real life and and sometimes you get to the super bowl and the super bowl is the most boring game of the year and it's a foregone conclusion so the advantage that hollywood has is it's always good (laughs) it's always good um, and the second qualification is, man, I hate this movie. Yeah, this movie's not good. And I think the third qualification that we should probably say at the top is that this was directed by Sam Raimi, who I dearly love as a director. Oh, he's one of my favorites. I mean, he is great and just like. One thing to start out with this movie is if you had if I had never looked up anything about this movie and watched it. There's no chance I would know that Sam Raimi was behind the camera for this one. Yeah, I I don't know the particulars. I don't know why he did this movie. I don't know what his relationship to this movie was. But I would say based on what I saw on screen, that his heart was not in it. (laughs) That this was the definition of Sam Raimi collecting a paycheck uh, to try to go on to make things that he did want to make, which this is like very shortly after this, he will go on to make the first Spider-Man film that he does. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm sure that the, the pre-production stuff for that first Spider-Man probably started in 99 or 2000, which is probably good. Cause I think maybe if they saw this, they might have been like, wait, this is the guy. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, no, I, I think you can see it. It's one thing that really struck me is there's an opening scene uh, with Brian Cox is playing the owner of the team. He, he's telling Kevin Costner's character like the the setup just to set up real quick. Kevin Costner, he's a, a pitcher and he's played for 19 years. And essentially, I'll save you the time that the movie doesn't save you to say this is going to be his last game that he plays. And uh, Brian Cox shows up to basically tell him I'm selling the team. And because of that, they're going to trade you. And so because of that, he ends up retiring. But they have this scene where they have a heart to heart. And it's shot in almost like a sitcom three camera. There's one close up of Brian Cox as he's talking where you can see a little bit of Kevin Costner's head and shoulder. And then we get a reverse of that where Kevin Costner's talking and you can see a little bit of Brian Cox's head and shoulder. And then a wide shot with both of them in it that is the most generic like set camera wide shot that you would get on a soundstage if you were filming Roseanne or whatever. And <laughs> that's how that scene happens, which, okay, sure. that That's a scene. Next scene, we find out about his estranged love interest uh, played by Kelly, Kelly Preston. Kelly Preston. And 
they're sitting on a bleacher looking at an empty like wreck baseball field and it is literally the same three shots it is a close-up of her with a little bit of his head and shoulder in it the reverse of that and then the same exact wide shot and it's two scenes back to back and i was like wow sam raimi who loves a dynamic camera who loves creative filmmaking is just going through the motions filming these scenes in the most generic again it's like i said it's three camera sitcom because like in a sitcom you've got a week and you got to film 20 pages like in front of a live studio audience so it you're just rolling in the most simple setup possible and that is how he is filming this big hollywood films opening scenes yes yeah the, it, there's a couple of directorial flourishes and flair not distinctly sam raimi uh, maybe the scene where uh, all of the zombies of the old dead baseball players come up and try to eat Kevin Costner like that scene felt Sam Raimi ish. Yeah, <laughs> look, I know you like obviously you're kidding, but for real, when Kevin Costner cut his hand on a saw and then we got a shot of his hand covered in blood dripping into snow. Did you get the impression that Sam Raimi just made that scene up on the fly because he was bored? A hundred percent. Um, and I'm sure most of it was just uh, unused coverage from the gift. Right. But it really had that of like this whole movie is this is a very generic baseball movie. And then all of a sudden there's one scene out of nowhere where he's in a wood shop. And then, uh, you know, Kelly Preston is just outside in the snow and he like he has lost so much blood. He should probably die as he's explaining to her what happened. And yet, uh, that's actually what the opening clip was from, where she's yelling at the doctors who do not seem concerned, even though he's lost four pints of blood by the time yes. he gets to the ER. I, I will say, having uh, suffered a horrific injury where you bleed a lot, uh, shock makes you incredibly calm. Yeah. Uh, I can say from experience um, <laughs> I, that, yeah, I, I was the calmest. I've One of the calmest I've ever been explaining uh to the person that showed up to help me uh how to like treat my injury yeah uh yeah so like that kind of tracks oddly enough and i had also lost a significant amount of blood and kelly preston also drove you to the er she did yeah. she drove me to the er and then was not allowed on the medevac because you weren't married to her and she wasn't family right. she just does and, this for people yeah she just she's she's an emt and or was an emt in her spare time you know uh rest in peace kelly preston but yes yeah also uh we should just get this out of the way this movie takes place in uh the same cinematic universe as lost as evidenced by the fact that jen from lost played the doctor and uh her flight was oceanic so i yes. just want to confirm that it is in the lost universe yeah so <laughs> um but yeah um so the film, look, look, we talked about the filmmaking and that's on Raimi and I, I dearly love him. But I also think while we're in the maligning portion, we have to talk about the fact that in addition to just the way it, it's filmed and all that, the music, the vibe, the energy, it all just kind of feels like a Cialis commercial. Like there's just a lot of like <laughs> generic guitar and just very sentimental, sweet music and, you know, a lot of just shots of baseball fields and no th this is like the most cliched movie 
that maybe I've ever watched. Yeah. And look, one thing, too, that bugged me, because, again, as we said, there's been a lot of baseball movies. There's a lot of, of tropes and cliches and all of that. But let's be real about this. The plot of this movie, the main core story, this love story, is essentially a very boring rehash of what was done much better in the film Major League with Tom Berenger. <laughs> like, essentially, Jake uh, from Major League, it's the same story. He's about to retire. He's over the hill. He had a woman, a blonde woman that he loved who was part of high society, who uh, understandably broke up with him when he chose baseball over her. And now in the twilight of his career, the important thing to her, him is getting her back. That's yeah. literally what Tom Berenger does in Major League. That's his arc, but he plays it better and it's more interesting. And it's the B plot of that movie. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like this movie. it So it's using the game of baseball as a metaphor for life. Right. Which has never been done before. No. It's also, uh, uh, I mean, it did it before this, but uh, with John C. Riley in it, I couldn't help but think it's also doing the Dewey Cox thing where Kevin Costner has to think about his entire life before he can play baseball. <laughs> yeah. And, and here's the like, just the, the utter laziness of this movie is that the whole movie is like plotted out through the course of this game that uh, Billy Chappell is pitching. And at just various points, it cuts to moments from the romance between Kelly Preston and Kevin Costner. Um, never is there like a parallel to like why this they're showing this moment at this point in the game or anything like that. It's never like he was in a particularly tough jam and, you know, had to get out of it. And that was like showing overcoming a difficulty in the relationship or anything like that. It's just this is the first inning. This is the first part of our relationship. This is the third inning. This is somewhere towards the middle. This is the fifth inning where I sliced my hand open and I look at my hand because it's hurting because I'm old and out of and over the hill and so on. Yeah, that they are. Yeah, there's two timelines happening, but you're exactly right. Unlike Lost, the thing that this cinematic universe is set in that, w that was great at doing flashbacks while doing a present day story that thematically mirrored those flashbacks. This is right. just doing their love story through the movie that he, oh my god he's uh pitching a no hitter and a perfect game even uh, more than a no hitter right so he's pitching a perfect game and it becomes about that but that is i think an hour and 15 minutes into the movie that uh they realize that which again to be was, fair, this movie is nine hours long <laughs> it which i will give them credit because it takes place during a baseball game and it felt exactly like it feels to watch a full baseball game. It's I got up and walked out of the room a few times. <laughs> I, I ate a hot dog, some popcorn. <laughs> yeah, it feels as long and as boring as a real baseball game. So on that level, they nailed it. I, I will say my wife is pissed that there are just peanut shells all over the floor in the <laughs> living room now. <laughs> Furious. So I got to deal with that in just a little bit. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it's it's just telling this. And look, I mean, whatever. Okay, like you said, baseball is a metaphor for life. But even their love story is so generic. They it's so like 
This movie should just be called like heteronormative the movie because he <laughs> they meet because her car is broken down. So he's a man. So he understands cars and she's a woman. So she doesn't understand cars. And uh, he, then a tow truck driver who's also a man tries to extort money from her or whatever, you know, like, oh, I'm still going to tow it, even though. Uh, whatever, and uh, it's starting because I, I came out here to do the thing. Hey, and then he realizes that uh, Kevin Costner is a famous baseball player, so then he's nice to them. But whatever. Uh, so th that's how they meet, and then they go on the worst date ever, which is that five minutes after meeting, and she has no idea who he is, and she doesn't like baseball. He's like, "Do you want to sit in the stands for four hours while I play baseball?" That's a good first date, right? With all of the other players' wives. With the players' wives, just we just met. And you're some essentially groupie at this point. Whoa, 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 whoa. There's a lot of discussion about whether or not she's a groupie. And that's apparently a bad thing. And uh, he's very offended and he's going to hang up the phone that you would say that, Andy. Well, then hang up, Kevin Costner. Yeah. But so there's all of that. There's just all of this. She writes girly magazine articles about cosmetics and whatever and he's baseball and they're from two different worlds and how are they ever going to connect and that's a lot of the movie also at one point he invites her over but then has sex with a different woman while he's waiting for her this is a weird move as you do yeah <laughs> well uh, to be fair he did think that she wasn't going to show up Right. So, you know what? He's a hero. I'm right. You're right. Exactly. I'm sorry. He's, I'm... The, he's the hero we need in these dark times. <laughs> Look, you got <laughs> it's a very firm, like college professor rule. You have 15 minutes to show up for your date or he's having sex with another woman or he's having sex with his masseuse. <laughs> yeah, I. Yep. But the, yeah, just all of the, the love story is very just things that are stereotypically men and women and the problems that they have. Yeah. And then randomly out of nowhere, it's revealed she has a daughter played by friend of the show, Jenna Malone. <laughs> yeah. Way late in this movie. Yeah. That reveal happens, which it raises the question of where her daughter's been for the first half of the movie, but whatever, it's fine. Yeah, uh, who cares? Yeah. So she has a daughter. Her daughter is awesome because she's played by Jenna Malone. And, um, Apparently, Jenna Malone, who weirdly in this movie doesn't age over the five years that of flashbacks. No, and because you know who don't change at all in how they look is people going from the age of uh, 16 to 21. Yeah, yeah. They she, look exactly the same the whole time. Yep. Yeah, so she looks super young the whole movie. Uh, weird choice. Which, again, would have made more sense to cast someone who is 21 and pretend they were 16 than to cast someone who is 16 and try to pretend that they're 21. But... Well, because when she's young, she has little barrette clips in her hair. And then when she's older, she's serious now and doesn't need to put clips in her hair. That is exactly the amount of thought they put into it. <laughs> Yeah, this whole movie is so phoned in. Oh, my God. Yeah, which also we should probably talk about the fact that for some reason beyond me, it is absolutely stacked with an amazing cast that is asked to do literally nothing. We, yeah. we sort of touched on them, but 
the owner of the team, Brian Cox, gets one scene where it kind of feels like he's hitting on Kevin Costner, but he's basically just <laughs> telling him it's hot. He's it's the most it's the most romantic chemistry in the whole movie. Yeah, he I think he literally says I've enjoyed watching you for 18 years or something weird like that. It's, it's a very weird scene. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, Brian Cox gets like that one scene and then you just see him in the owner's box. Uh, John C. Riley gets the most to do, but it's still outside of the speech that we played at the beginning. He just sort of is going through the motions. Um, you have who else is in here? I'm now <laughs> well, yeah, Kevin Costner, who is Hollywood royalty, deservedly so. You have Kelly oh, Preston. Okay, but who, look, look, if you're going to say that Kevin Costner is Hollywood royalty, which I don't disagree with, he that like, oh, he is terrible in this movie. Yeah, for a person who loves baseball and loves doing baseball movies, it, it feels like every before every scene he took nyquil like he just he's so sleepy and so like phoning it in because uh, yeah i oh, mean no, I, like no some of his line readings are just so flat and so generic and so bad like i wouldn't say i'm like a huge kevin costner fan but he is undeniably good in most of what he does. Well, and this is his wheelhouse. Like, that's the thing is, right. yeah, I, I don't know that I am uh, like, I don't, I neither like him nor dislike him. Like, he's just like you said, he's Hollywood royalty. I accept that. But you would just think even if the script wasn't great, him playing baseball, that's just, that's so much to his strength that, you know, yeah, it's it's like Tom Cruise running really fast directly at the camera. It's, it's what they do. Right. Oh, sorry. I knew like we were blanking on other people, though. J.K. Simmons plays the manager, but is given yeah, 12 lines. Yeah. I, like He's not even and this gro- was a little bit before J.K. Simmons was J.K. was as well known as he is. But still, he's a great actor. Nothing to do. Yeah. And even just he's too nice of a manager. If you just made the manager grumpier, it would have been more entertaining. Again, you're you're doing major league. Make him more like the manager from major league. And J.K. Simmons right. could have played that. Uh, but yeah, you have him. And then, yeah, like you said, Jenna Malone's in it, Kelly Preston. Uh, the cast is good. It's a very solid cast that is not given anything to play. No, it's th- this movie is just. It's just so cliched and like. From the first pitch, you know, he's throwing a perfect game. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Well, and it's weird, too, because they kind of make that choice that he starts running out of gas. And again, that clip uh, with John C. Riley, where he's like, you know, you just throw whatever you can and we'll take care of it. I think the last three innings, I don't think he strikes anyone out. It's all the rest of the team. He's, he gets one strikeout. He gets one strikeout, but the rest of it is all the his teammates just carrying him for like the last three innings. Yeah, because like, so the stats for the game is he he gets eight strikeouts, which not bad, but it's less than one per inning. Right. Uh, which granted, as a major league pitcher, if you're pitching a strikeout per inning, you're the best of all time. Right. But either no. way. I mean, look, yeah, his but performance would be great game. in this game. But the point is that he's yeah, it's a perfect game. Yeah. Like he does. He makes one nice catch coming right back at the mound. And uh, jumps on a bunt and covers that. So those are the three things he did. The last out of the game, he tries to make the play muffs it. And thank goodness the second baseman is there 
uh, to make the actual out to end the perfect game. Right. So not only is it a situation where the it's a foregone conclusion that this thing will happen. It's not even like it's all deus ex machinas that are keeping him <laughs> like having this perfect game. It's not his. That's always what you want in a protagonist is him to win while not actually doing anything active. You want him to just win by chance, you know, while he stands around and watches. Right. Yeah, it's. um, uh, this, this movie's dumb. There's also just. Even the easy stuff, there's no real villain. There's always got to be a villain in a sports movie, like some guy that you really no, hate. The, the, like, it's clear that the Tigers are, they don't say they're in last place, but they're out of contention. Uh, the Yankees could clinch the division if they won today, but they'll clinch it tomorrow. Like, they're, the Yankees are there just because they're the most famous baseball team. So, of course, it's going to be against the Yankees. Well, well, right. So, thank you for clearing that up, too. Not only is there no villain, there are no stakes, really. <laughs> like, you know, and again, you can do a lot with a symbolic victory over the first place team. That, that's been done in movies that, you know, like there might even be a movie that we're going to be watching later this month about a team that loses every game except one symbolic victory against uh, the best team in their league. That might be a movie that's going to happen later this month. It, it, it certainly it, is. It might be. Yeah, it's, it's definitely possible. So like that stuff works. But yeah, just the idea of <laughs> if the Yankees don't win, if they don't clinch the division this time, they'll do it. Next next game, it's just you're literally telling us this game doesn't matter. <laughs> well, and that's I mean, one of the big problems with baseball as a sport is that they play 162 games. Mm -hmm. Most of them don't matter. Right. Well, it's also one of those things. I think another mistake that they make is that he spends the whole game deciding whether to retire or not, where. Even if he just had the scene where he and Brian Cox have smoldering sexual chemistry uh, to start it out. And then Damn, that scene's hot. And then by the end of it, he says, like, look, you know, I'll make it easy on you. I know you're selling the team. You've done right by me. I know they want to trade me. I'm just going to retire after this game. This would be my last game. And he just says it before the game starts. And then. Uh, you know, famed announcer Vin Scully can just go into the game being like, and we've just gotten word that this will be his last game ever. Right. But and that's like one of the points is that Billy Chappell is an all time great pitcher in this universe. Right. That he's, like, yeah, he's I won think three Cy Young Awards. Yep. He won a World Series like he's an all time great. They mentioned that like his spot in Cooperstown is secure. Like, he's not some, like, no-name, like, middle-of-the-road pitcher. Like, he is a guy. Like, he was the guy for probably most of his career. So, yeah. So, why not just make the stakes clear? No matter what happens, this game doesn't matter. Uh, your team is in last place, but this is the last performance you're ever going to have on the mound. And then you can really lean into, like, some kind of speech by him of, like, look, look, fellas, this is my last game. But what if we went out there and did something special? What if we had a perfect game? You know, like it's the one thing I never had my entire career. Like just set up the stakes clearly right. and early. And like the one time they veer towards realism is the fact that no one would ever say, hey, let's try to get a perfect game today. 
Well, right, but they also messed that up because they all acknowledge that it's happening about halfway through, which, again, if you're going to play into the superstition of it, then in no way, you, you know, never talk to a pitcher that's yeah. yeah, like they do show the one scene where he's like separated on the bench. But the whole time, like John C. Riley at his golden retriever best is <laughs> it's a great description. <laughs> Also, A plus that his name is Gus in this movie, which is the Gusinski. which is just he, every character so he plays should be called Gus. Honestly, I think that they are at this yeah. point. But like, yeah, but just like it's like the fourth inning or something. It's like, oh, geez, uh, Billy Chapel, you got that perfect game going. What do you think about that? Huh? And it's like, no, no, no way would like because it's established that like Gus is a veteran catcher. Like he's probably a little over the hill, too. He's probably caught. Billy Chapel for a large portion of his career. And um yeah, like he would know better. And then there's like the character of his friend that played for the Tigers, but then the Tigers were running out of money, so they trade him to the Yankees. And like they kind of play into that a little bit, but like they never show his best friend theoretically congratulating him after the perfect game. It's so dumb. Well, right. It's just there's there's a lot that they could have really milked and and made work but it, it yeah it just throws stuff out and it doesn't really deliver on it yeah there, there's a lot of ways that you could establish maybe it's something where he almost had a perfect game once and then it was ruined and then now that he realizes that he's retiring that that's the one thing that he he's done everything he's a pitcher who's done it all he's his place is secured in cooperstown but the one thing that he never has done is get a perfect game like what if that haunted him for whatever reason you know right like a thing they could have done is that maybe the last time he was close uh that guy that got traded to the yankees like made an error to end the perfect game so he got the no hitter but he didn't get the perfect game right yeah um and then they could have you know they could have had like him strike out that guy for the last out right exactly yeah the the fact that you don't again these are things that major league did better and i just keep bringing up major league because it's very clear that this movie is stealing heavily from it but you didn't steal the best parts of major league which is that charlie sheen is supposed to throw up to like there's one guy who does play for the yankees that he's gonna strike out to win the game yeah and like i mean there is the sort of the game like he bumps into a young yankee player in the locker room is like oh you played with my dad you know demonstrating just how old how much of an old fart his character is and it's that kid that is up to bat for the last out of the perfect game and i think the braver move would have had been that kid to get a hit and end the perfect game yeah why not right like why not um well, well because there are ways to do that if you wanted to because there are good sports movies where they don't get the thing bad news bears being an amazing one of them but you could have had him not get a perfect game and then he is feeling really shitty and then what what's this oh kelly preston's in the the stands and she actually was there watching the game and so he got what because that's what really it's it's ironic the title for the love of the game because it was actually for the love of the jane and he ends up with her because her character's name is Jane. Yeah, I probably should have made that clear before I said it, but her character. I, I got you. I got you. Yeah. I got your back. Much like his defense had his back yeah. uh, when he was flubbing it at the end of the game. But um, and also, yeah. can we just talk about the fact, too, that they don't even make that compelling? The <laughs> it it's presented because they make the choice, which is the absolute right choice that she doesn't get on her airplane 
And instead, she she stays to watch the end of the game because she wants to see what happens with the absolute worst human being on the planet. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Just uh, if just the idea of the Yankees were somehow melted into a human being, that is that is what if all the Yankees fans were combined into one toolbox at an airport bar. Yes. Uh, so, but she, she stays and she watches the end of the game and then she's just sitting in the airport, but neither, she doesn't run to the stadium to get to him and he doesn't run to her. It honestly felt like the last scene was they happened to cross paths with each other in the well, airport. Right, Cause like he decided he was going to go to London to like win her back. Right. But she's just there, but it's, but she just happens to be there cause she missed her flight to watch the game, which again is a passive choice instead of a dynamic and interesting one. So it's instead of like, again, leaning into cliches, someone running through an airport or running through the rain or whatever, she's just sitting there and he's casually walking and it's like, oh, hey, you're here. That's random. Right. It's. And then they tear, they tearfully reconnect. And the other thing is like, it had been made abundantly clear that they had broken up for years. Well, and they weren't dating that long. I think those are some weird choices, too, because it's established they only met five years prior. Like, he's been playing baseball for 19 years, but they only have known each other for five years and seemingly only dated briefly for, like, one of those years, maybe. Like, he made it to Christmas. Yeah, there was, like, a courtship year and then a year where they were seriously, like, part of each other's lives where they were doing Christmas together. And, you know, he became a father figure for Heather, Jenna Malone. um, And then they break up. Because he's a baseball player and she's a writer and that can't work. Yeah, he's a baseball and she's a girl magazine and they don't those two things don't. Can I make it more any more obvious? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. And then uh, and then they, you know, he says he does actually love her and they try to reconnect and. Yep. Just another dumb scene uh, that I want to point out is um I mean, uh he's just randomly at a cafe in Los Angeles cuz you know as you do sure uh and then uh Jenna Malone walks by it's the first time they've seen each other in a few years and you know they're like kind of reconnecting having a nice moment and then you know her friends don't call to her they just kind of stand there looking blankly at the screen <laughs> like i don't think they knew they were being filmed yeah. um I don't think they knew they were they were up for coverage at that point. So um, action, Sam. Jesus, I said I'm yeah. busy. <laughs> <laughs> He's just drawing <laughs> Spider-Man, Spider-Man costumes on the script while they're filming. <laughs> <laughs> he, like he has the script, but like inside the script is a Spider-Man comic. Yeah. And he's just flipping pages through. <laughs> yeah. So they're just like, um, so are we rolling? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah you're great. It's whatever. It's fine. <laughs> man you can tell um, you phoned this movie in because bruce campbell doesn't even show up that's how little he cared <laughs> bruce is like you need me for this nah He's like, nah, that's fine it, and i don't think the uh the car from evil dead shows up either it I, might but it, it must just because i think i have heard that it's in every movie that he ever made so he probably put it somewhere but it's probably like in the parking lot 
of the like, stadium. Well, the fact that it wasn't the car that uh, Kelly Preston was driving in that scene t- says everything. Yeah, exactly. Why not? Yeah. Why not have that be the old car that she's driving that broke down? That would have um, been a very but, easy way to spotlight it. But no, he apparently the Western that he did, he like he some, found a way to get it. in. Yeah. He, yeah so I'm sure dead, he put yeah. it in this movie. It would be telling if he didn't. It would be. It would be funny. Yeah, I didn't care. Like someone pointed out yeah, at the end of like, Sam, we got to like, get oh, the car. That's yeah, huh. it's fine. I'm sure in one of those crane shots in New York City, it was in there. There was someone driving a similar car. <laughs> that's what he's going it. with. He's like, I mean, if you really scan New York, you probably see it. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, but like that scene. Like her friend, like her friends are like, she, you know, they're like, oh, you have to go. It's like. If I saw someone who I had looked up to as like a father figure and a mentor for the first time in years. I would tell my friends, hey, I'm going to have lunch with him. I'll catch up with you guys later. Yeah, why not? Right? <laughs> as someone who was a college student, nothing was ever so pressing that I couldn't have had lunch with an old friend. Well, also, let's be real about this, too. There's all of what you're saying, but also as a college student, not only do you see a mentor slash dad, you see, see a free lunch, a very rich baseball player who you have a personal connection with. You have a meal with that man because he's paying. <laughs> right. A hundred percent. Honestly, you probably invite your friends be like, can we all have dinner? Like, can we all have lunch with you right now? We're starving because we haven't eaten anything that isn't ramen. I, all I've been eating is ramen and beer. <laughs> yeah, We're all very hungover and poor. So. <laughs> so please. Um, Because it's also established, too. Her mom is like a freelance writer. She doesn't even have a staff position. She's not wealthy. Yeah. Yeah. She's pitching articles to a variety of magazines. Yeah. And like that's sort of the thing is that she gets like an editor job. That's what brings her to is bringing her to London. So that's like her big break, I guess. Right. Or whatever. Her most stable career position. Um, And just the uh, like one more dumb scene to talk about before (laughs) we pivot. In a host of movies full of dumb scenes. I'm sure you probably have more, too. Um, but after they've broken up, um, somehow he finds out that she's at this, like, gallery opening. Yep. And, and like, the whole point of the scene is to establish that she smokes sometimes. Yes, I guess that's the point. I. <laughs> it also <laughs> I, the point also was that, again, they caught Major League like on television and we're scribbling notes furiously about what to do. And there's a scene where he where Tom Berenger crashes Rene Russo's high society uh, gathering. So I also feel like that. But yes, she smokes in the scene that like you don't know mu- as much about me as, I, as you think, because, yeah, I smoke sometimes. OK. <laughs> <laughs> I Yeah, I yep. Yeah, I the whole movie is it's not good. So our attempt at a perfect game now is to find the silver linings. Um, I really like Kelly Preston. <laughs> yeah. No, Kelly Preston. I think, that she, I think she gives one of the best performances in the movie. I, I mean, a few times it's cheesy. Like, does anybody here love baseball? Like, I mean, that pretty seems cheesy, pretty but, bad. Like, but. But uh, hilariously so. Um, no, but, but she's she's charming in the movie. I, I would say her and John C. Riley give the two best performances in the movie. Besides, of course, Jenna Malone. Well, I mean, look, Jenna Malone doesn't do anything. We just love Jenna Malone here on the show. Look, let's be clear. Jenna Malone is the best part of every movie that Jenna Malone has ever been in, including this movie. That's just true. 
we're just <laughs> that's stat- just a fact. That's just stating facts. Uh, but yes, uh, so Jenna Malone won, but then tied for second place is John C. Riley and Kelly Preston, who are both really good. And I agree. She again, I I wish that there was more to her character than a Wikipedia entry on stereotypical females. <laughs> like it is. She's the most cliched woman that has ever existed. I also, I wish they had done some heightening with, there was almost a fun game with her character of her trying to avoid this baseball game and she's in the cab and she can't avoid it. She's in the airport and she can't avoid it. Like, I think they could have heightened that and really played into just how much she can't avoid this baseball game. That would have been a fun choice. Yeah, it sure would have been. But that's not Um, the movie that we're watching. No, uh, but, you know, I, but I did. I really enjoyed like I thought that she may have been given the least of the leads in this movie. If you say that she, Kevin Costner and uh, John C. Riley are the three leads of the movie. I think she was probably given the least and I think did the most with it. Because mm-hmm. she was given a very cliched and, and nothing of a of a role. And, and you know, she delivered. Um we already talked about how it was criminally, how criminally underused Brian Cox and J.K. Simmons were. Yep. Um, one thing I thought they really nailed is how much Yankee fans suck. <laughs> yeah, no, they they for sure nailed that. Just in varieties. You had the guy in the airport. You had guys in the stands. Uh, we get to see many Yankees fans. <laughs> Well, and like one thing I really like. So after he pitches the perfect game and the, the Tigers bench is going wild and everything like you clearly see the Yankees fans booing. And that's exactly what would have happened. Yeah. Yeah. They don't care that it's this guy's last game. They're not impressed you know, by their feet. And eventually they come around like, all right, man. All right. Good, you know, game recognized game. Yeah. Uh, we still won 26 World Series and you, you ain't won shit. But yeah. yeah. Um, so like I thought they, they I thought that's something that they nailed was the the yankees and their fandom i also it did legit crack me up that it became clear when she was talking to the bartender where she was like oh his arm it's hurting him and the bartender was like wait you know him and the guy just being like no you don't like just like you don't know him yeah just because of course it's like she might um one thing that like one of the areas where the movie was subtle and it kind of surprised me, I don't know if it counts as a silver lining, but like the level of celebrity that Billy Chapel had was like never directly addressed, but like they could never have a heart to heart without someone coming up for an autograph. And like, I thought that was something that was actually showed a little restraint and a little bit of like show don't tell stuff. And that was something that like, Oh, you cared about this aspect of producing this movie. Right. Yeah. I also, I I do think some of the most creative uh, stuff in the film that I did enjoy is I thought they did a really good job. Again, Kevin Costner, who really loves baseball and who has done a lot of baseball movies, the real footage of his childhood with what was very clearly really his dad, I thought was well integrated into the movie. You know, like it, it worked. It worked for the character. There was kind of a cheesy scene where older versions of his parents were in the stands that wasn't necessary. But the actual real footage I thought was pretty creative. And I also thought oh, like playing catch with his dad and stuff. That was neat. Yeah. Yeah. The stuff with him. And I also thought the the way that Sam Raimi, as much as I gave Sam Raimi a hard time for a lot of the some of the other filmmaking, I thought the way that they shot 
the stuff that was on TV really looked like a baseball game on television, which I feel like sometimes sports movies shoot things too cinematically. I actually thought the TV shots all looked like TV shots to me. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, And the only other and I think this came the closest to like a Sam Raimi flourish, if you will. But like when they show him like tuning everything out and just focusing on the pitcher, the batter and the catcher like that felt the most Sam Raimi ish. I didn't like it, though, if I'm being honest. I'm not saying I liked it. I'm just saying <laughs> it felt like, like he something. was trying there. It felt like something, but it 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 didn't quite work for me. I also I, I thought it was good the way that it framed. There was like one shot that they would go back to where they managed to get. Uh, him and John C. Riley and the batter all in the same shot from this one angle. And I thought that looked pretty cool the way that like where the camera that was wasn't placed like the that. behind the pitcher camera they use for like the way they film baseball games. But it was like a very cinematic way to do it that worked out really well, which I can't I, I can't think of anything else that I've ever seen that in. So I really enjoyed that. Like, I thought that was a creative shot. Um, yeah. All right. Do you have anything else? Because I have one and I think we can probably close it on this one. If uh, no, I'm, I'm amazed that I got as many as I did. OK, I am reading. Oh, actually, sorry, two. I'm about to read this. But real quick, uh, one of the other silver linings is that uh, J.K. Simmons did this movie. And even though he was given nothing to do, it introduced him to Sam Raimi, who would go on to use him as J. Jonah Jameson in Spider-Man, which is the greatest casting in any comic book movie ever. So for that alone, it's worth it that this movie was made, if that's how the two of them met. Yes. So there's that. But then there's this. And really, the silver lining is that I get to read this. And this is verbatim from IMDb. It was reported that Kevin Costner was angry with Universal Pictures because they cut his full frontal shower scene. Costner told Newsweek that the studio lacked real courage by insisting that the film have a more kid-friendly rating. But a studio executive told New York Magazine that a test audience in Arizona gave a thumbs down to Costner's manhood. The audience giggled at Kevin's penis. Then, in focus groups, they said, Do we really need to see Kevin Costner's penis? (laughs) Good night, everybody. (laughs) Silver Linings Playback is a production of Hobotrashcan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one. Hey, guys, it's Sean. And Carter. From Potato. Salad. Marmalade. Eight. Eight. Aid. Aid. Potato Aid. salad marmalade. Another podcast here on the Peak Sloth Network. Check it out.